Namaste and welcome to Divine Talk Radio. Heal, empower, and awaken with your hosts from the Divine Lineage Healing Center in Laytonville, California. This is Cindy Lindsay Rael for Divine Lineage. You can contact us on the web at divinelineage.org or follow us to get updates on new episodes. You know, in my own personal life, and also when I was an organizational consultant, I noticed that most people have at least some trouble with even well-phrased negative feedback. Because any time we have to face criticism, most of us feel some level of discomfort. And I'm hoping that the strategies we'll offer in part two of this series will help everyone to deal with negative feedback in a beautiful way. But for some people, hearing criticism is devastating. They ruminate over it. They hold it. They go into deep reactions to it. And I think also that this can help them as well. You know, when I was younger, I had a difficult time with with criticism myself. I had felt criticized as a child, and and it was very touchy for me. But through doing these things and by un- this understanding that I'm going to present to you in these two episodes, that's really changed in my life. And I can take even some of the toughest criticism and really sit with it and be with it in a way that I feel helps me move forward. So I'm really hoping that this will work for you too. Now, though there's a lot of things to be said about how to give criticism or negative feedback in a positive way, this is really about how to deal with taking criticism in a positive way. That's our topic for these two episodes of Soul Talk. And in part one, the episode will focus on a much deeper and very important issue of ego itself, which is both a spiritual and a psychological issue, which is tied to this issue of handling criticism. And in part two, we'll focus more on direct techniques. Now, I should be clear that today we're not talking about times when someone says something where they truly intend to abuse, intend to harm, intend to wound you. This is more focused on times when someone is trying to tell you something they think you need to hear for your improvement. However, it's clear that uh, even when people do not intend to harm, they may or may not be delivering criticism effectively. This is primarily because they have their own wounds. (laughs) They have their own issues. And their own wounds, their own issues, their own feelings are fueling their statements and their actions and reactions with you. So, you know what? It's sometimes hard to tell. Um, What's the difference between someone who's triggered but really has my uh, best interests at heart and doesn't intend to harm me and uh, somebody who really is being abusive and harming and wishes to hurt. So in that case, I just want to give something for those who are unclear about what's happening in the moment. Giving the benefit of the doubt and having compassion makes sense as our first response to take the initial assumption that this person does not intend to harm. You know, after a while, if you turn, if it turns out this person does intend to harm, okay, turn the other cheek, 
do as Shirdi Baba suggested to just say nothing and if you can't handle it, walk away. But today we're really more talking about the negative feedback, the person who's trying to actually, ineffectively or effectively, give you some piece of information they think will help you become better. And the ultimate strategy with that criticism is really um, take it sporty, as, as Sri Kaleshwar used to say, or don't take it personally, as Miguel Ruiz says. You know, everything is a part of God, and everything that comes to us is part of a soul journey. They are hints to our soul development. And we need to feel thankful for that. Sri Kalesra used to say, thank you, mother, meaning that the maya or the play of the illusion is a game that's bringing us this trouble for our own soul development and be thankful for it. So how do we get to this place where we can either take it sporty or be in thanks to the illusion and to the play of the mother here? How do we get to that place of acceptance and emotional non-attachment with criticism? We need to be able to let go of it. We need to let it hit some place that is not our wounds or our blocks. We need to react with compassion and not to rehearse it as a negative, but to learn from it. But okay, how do we do that? Well, before getting to techniques, what I want to focus on is a deeper issue of ego in spirituality. Because from both a spiritual point of view and a psychological point of view, the how we get there is about ego. Now, ego is the I that is attached to our personal separate reality, our personality, our experience in the body, but also to our blocks and our wounds and our pains. In the Bhagavad Gita, it helps us to understand that ego is a feeling of separateness. It's an attachment into the illusion as if that illusion were truth. So it's a kind of false perception of oneself as separate or limited or the construction of the small I, the personality. The Bhagavad Gita shows us that the universal I is much larger than that, that it's our soul nature. It's our true interconnected state with all things, our interconnection with God, with Mother Divine, and with our own souls. That the true I is not this small ego, but that that true I within us is covered by illusions and karmas. Now, as we've talked about many times on Soul Talk, the illusion is a play of the mother, the maya, to present us with our karmas so that we can learn to uncover the soul and find that true universal I within and beyond us. So it's critical to transcend the separate I uh, and to meet the illusion in a way that advances our soul. And that's a kind of egoless state. And that egolessness becomes a means to enlightenment. Now, throughout the Bhagavad Gita, they list a number of ways that egoism is manifest in us. Ownership and doership of our actions, believing that we're the one doing everything, rather than the alternative being understanding that we are 
instruments of God and instruments of our own soul's development. There's desire and attachment. So these are ways of connecting into that illusion of the small I. Pride and arrogance, selfishness, self-centeredness. These are all manifestations of connecting in to that smaller I. Aggression and competitiveness, judgment, opinions, criticism. An identification with the mind and the body. And in fact, those are results of identification with the mind and body. And ultimately, a kind of fear, suffering, anxiety, anger, and stress, and so on. As Shruti Sai Baba said, all the maladies arise because man does not shed his ego, feels that his body is everything. And he also said, it is ego that creates this world with all its transient joys and sorrows. But it's not just Shruti Sai Baba or the Bhagavad Gita. This is a basic tenet in many Eastern spiritual views, from Buddhism to Taoism and many, many more. So how do we understand this as part of how we take constructive criticism? If we're going to take constructive criticism, not from the ego, but from the egoless state, then we have to find a way to see it as it's just the Maya bringing us a chance to advance our souls. And then handling criticism requires handling ego. And handling ego is a main aspect of spiritual approaches to enlightenment. Thus, handling criticism is key learning experience in which we can practice and learn egolessness and advance our souls. So this is a spiritual issue, this issue of hearing criticism and addressing it well, because it's an engagement into ego. We have to find a way to transcend the ego responses and have a more egoless stance. But even more than that, we have to find a way to go beyond not making it personal, but changing the nature of the I that is responding there. From the small I to the universal I. From the place where we are just hooking into and reaffirming our karmas to the place where we are transcending them and growing our souls. And criticism is a key place to do that because it's a moment when the illusion faces us with something that could be changed, with something that could be modified in us. It's an engagement between our karmas and us that if we can deal with it, understand it, meet it beautifully, and learn from it, becomes an advancement to our souls. But to understand kind of the application of that, let's look at a range of the reactions that people have to criticism. Now, there are both external responses and internal responses. And as we take a look at these responses, we can see that there are really two sides of the same coin of ego. The first side is an increased ego defense, a self-justification, and a defensiveness which maintains a particular stance of ego. The flip side of that coin is an unworthiness, the hurt, 
the lack of self-love and low self-esteem. And I think most of us know the first one. We think of somebody who has a big ego as being somebody who's always sort of self-justifying, self-important, always out for themselves kind of person. But really the flip side of that ego is the person with a damaged ego in terms of unworthiness, in terms of lack of self-love, in terms of low self-esteem. Now on the external side of the ego defense state, what a person usually does is defend, deny, cover up, or maybe even lie with response to negative feedback. They may blame or be angry or even try to attack back the source of the criticism. But what's going on for those people internally? Well, they're feeling angry, aggressive, and judgmental towards the source, but they're also feeling not good enough. Even that big ego side of this two-sided coin of ego is rooted in a feeling of not good enough. The ego defense is there to defend the wounded self. On the external side of the unworthiness, people may try to phrase this in terms of, oh, it must have been a big mistake. They may try to people please or overdo their acts of accepting and try to make it better. Or they may just go sort of deer in the headlights, shocked, stunned, and likely even disassociated if this is a deep issue for them. That was me. I would go into disassociated state. And I remember, and I'm telling something very private here. I'm sorry, I hope this is, it doesn't come off as ego to do this. But I remember that I was in therapy for this for many years. And um, I had had a job at the time where it was my job to listen to people complain at me about you know what I was there to defend and support. And I did it really well. I was amazing at it. I could just be there so placidly and listen to them and respond back to them and so on and so forth. I actually thought I was pretty darn good at this. And then I went through this big thing of therapy, trying to not go into disassociation, trying to be in my body, trying to be present and all these kinds of things. And I went back to work and somebody came in, the first person who came in with this huge complaint at me, I felt like utter, total full-body shock reaction. Everything in me was vibrating in some way that I could barely stand. And uh, it was just, it was excruciating. And I went back to my therapist and reported this. And the therapist's response was, that's probably the first time you ever stayed in your body when somebody was criticizing. Oh, wow. (laughs) That was an eye-opener for me. And it was part of what sent me on the track of trying to understand this receiving of criticism and seeing it as part of ego and seeing it as part of unworthiness and understanding it in the ways that I'm going to present to you in these two episodes. So on the external side of things, somebody may go deer in the headlights, shocked, stunned, and disassociated. But on the internal of the unworthiness dimension of this, they're feeling devastated. They're hurt. They're shamed. They're unloved. They think they're a bad person. They may even stay in that state for a very prolonged time. 
For some people, these responses last a very long time, way after the event of criticism itself. And though all of us can have our ego hurt with criticism, those who maintain these feelings for a prolonged time past the event do need to take a deeper look at these underlying problems of ego defense and unworthiness. So please, I'm asking, begging you, if you see yourself in these descriptions, you might have a deeper issue that really needs, deserves healing. And it may be more difficult for you to follow the advice given in part two of this series here, because you need to deal with those underlying issues for yourself first. I did, and I can highly recommend it. And we have a number of beautiful healers, Sai Shakti healers, who can help you. In the modern world, though, we're surrounded by ego manifestations. And we as human beings have adopted some primary wounds of ego. Beyond the difficulties of attaining spiritual egolessness, we can find that there are ego dysfunctions that do need deeper healing. So let's, let's look at those for a moment, just so we can identify them. We'll know if we fit in these categories. So one of the deeper issues is unworthiness, or low self-esteem, if it's more commonly known. And it's very common in the modern world. In fact, Sri Kaleshwar listed a set of blocks that are the primary ones in modern times. And several of these blocks fit into the unworthiness and low self-esteem category, insecurity, unworthiness, feeling left out, and feeling rejected. Now, for a full list of those major blocks of modern times, and for a mantra process, a fabulous, amazing, powerful mantra process for remedying those blocks, you can go to The Real Life and Teachings of Jesus Christ by Sri Kaleshwar. There's a, a chapter dedicated to this. And it's, I highly, highly, highly recommend that as one way of addressing it, as one way of receiving your healing here. But in modern times, there's also been a rise of the unhealthy, unhealthy ego defense side of things as well. And the most extreme example is called narcissistic personality disorder. In fact, uh, not only is this a diagnosis that's been on the rise in recent years, but there are some very disturbing modern cultural manifestations of what I personally would consider to be the glamorization and normalization of very unhealthy ego defense and narcissistic behavior. From real housewives to politicians to celebrities and others who publicly tweet and Instagram every thought, moment, and body part, there is a kind of normalization or even glamorization of ego defense and narcissistic behavior. Now, as someone who believes that striving for egolessness is the way to enlightenment and the transcendence of humanity, that kind of trend in society is particularly disturbing. 
So I'm going to give you a fairly detailed explanation of narcissistic personality disorder so we can begin to really recognize that pathology. Because I don't think it's one of the ones that people generally understand or know. It roots back to Narcissus, who saw his reflection in the water and fell in love with his inflection, his reflection. But it's way more than that. So I'm going to lapse into being a psychologist here for a moment to explain you, explain for you the narcissistic personality disorder and the diagnostic and statistical manual manual of mental disorders describes narcissistic personality disorder as a pervasive pattern of grandiosity, need for admiration, and lack of empathy that begins in early adulthood and is present in a variety of contexts. The work of modern psychologists has gone on to explain a number of symptoms that are associated with that pattern of mental disorder. So narcissists often portray an image of overconfidence to the world, but that's only to cover up this deep feeling of insecurity and a really fragile self-esteem and unworthiness that's easily bruised by the slightest criticism. So narcissists are filtering information and reacting to it on the basis of trying to maintain an ego stance that defends the fragile inner self. Now, the symptoms can be seen in childhood and beyond as things like bullying and scapegoating people. And that includes both parents and other adults that this person would be bullying even as a child. A persistent need to win, no matter what or who's hurt. Lying to benefit the self. Behavior of entitlement being highly reactive to criticism or anything they assume or interpret as negatively evaluating their personality or performance, and then displaying aggressive responses to being criticized, wronged, or upset, and being inordinately self-righteous and defensive in reacting to contrary points of view with anger or rage. Now we can see how that absolutely tells us they're trying to defend something of their own ego there. But there's more to it. They may repetitively blame others for bad outcomes, even for those that are outcomes of their own behavior. They're much more competitive than cooperative, and they're oftentimes projecting onto others qualities, traits, behaviors that they can't or won't accept in themselves. They have a requirement for excessive admiration and affirmation, They're preoccupied with their own success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal of love. And however, they act interpersonally exploitative, lacking empathy, unwilling or unable to recognize or identify with feelings and needs of others, and often envious of others or believing that others are envious of them. They show arrogant, haughty, rude, abusive behaviorals, behaviors and attitudes, and display an inability to form deep relationships. Now that's a psychological description, but if you'll remember back to what we said were the acts, the expressions of ego in the Bhagavad Gita, desires and attachments, pride, arrogance, self-centeredness, aggression, competitiveness, judgment, 
difficulty with criticism and criticizing, you're starting to see that these two descriptions are very much alike. Now, Sri Kaleshwar in his list of modern blocks does recognize some of these symptoms of ego defense in his list. Anger, anxiety, suspecting nature, not forgiving and unloving nature. And although these may go beyond this particular description of narcissistic personality disorder, they certainly are included within it. So these are major dysfunctions in the modern world. Now, all of these kinds of dysfunctions, whether it's on the unworthiness side or whether it's on the ego defense side, are possibly karmic and can be activated in childhood. So we should just mention for a moment some of the childhood situations that can lead to these, these ego issues. Excessive criticism, humiliation or shame, child abuse or violence, behaviors of drug or alcohol-addicted parents, and fighting in the family are primary issues, as well are abandonment and feeling unloved. So clearly, this is a very deep issue, and it needs healing. Both deep unworthiness and unhealthy ego defense do need some healing or therapy to help you overcome them. So I'm mentioning them here because before going on to a list of how-tos to deal with criticism in our next episode, we really need to look at this larger issue that lies underneath why people do feel devastated by criticism or have very unhealthy responses to criticism. But it's beyond a personal issue. It's also a deep healing issue for humanity and for our evolving culture. We have to take a look at these issues because they are major blocks of our time. And as major blocks of our time, they are also blocking us from that egoless state, which is our hope for transcendence. In part two, we'll take a look at how to release the ego, but maintain love. And as well, we will give away give ways to meet and respond to criticism that advance our souls and our personalities. This is Cindy Lindy, Lindsay Rael for Divine Lineage. You have been listening to Divine Talk Radio. Heal empower and awaken with your hosts from the Divine Lineage Healing Center in Laytonville, California. Namaste. Namaste.